The first time I spoke to Amanda Annis from Ohio Pools and Spas, I knew I wanted to have her on the podcast. I just remember thinking, wow, here is a woman who takes a very thoughtful approach to her business and her decisions. I think you can tell that in the answers she gives on the podcast too. She has an answer for everything and not in the I can BS with anyone about anything kind of way that you probably sometimes sound like when you host a podcast or something, but more in the I live and breathe and genuinely care about this way. And the more I learn about her story and the story of this family business, the more impressed I am. There are so many lessons we can take from this. If you are a burnt out business owner right now, and I know that many of you are, I hope you are encouraged by this episode. And if you need help or support in your business or otherwise, you know, I hope that this episode helps you find the courage to ask for it. We do talk about suicide in this episode, so just a heads up if that's a sensitive subject for you. And Amanda sent over some great resources. If you or someone you know is struggling, those are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. On the Spa Retailer Podcast today, we have Amanda Annis. She is the president of Ohio Pools and Spas. They have two locations, uh, one in Mayfield Heights and one in North Canton, Ohio. So welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Megan. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) Great. That's good to hear. So Amanda and I talked, I think for the first time, oh man, it was a few months ago. I was working on something for the IHGA and they put me in touch with you and I was like, why have I not talked to this woman before? Cause she kind of sounds like she knows what she's doing. So I always love to run across some great women in the industry. So I'm excited that we've got you on the podcast and also in the next issue of the magazine, which is super exciting too. Yeah. Thank you so much for featuring us. It was an honor. Before we get started, I always like to ask people kind of their personal background, where they grew up, how they got into the industry. So, you know, what is, what's your story? How'd you end up in the hot tub industry? Yeah, for sure. So I'm from Northeast Ohio originally. I grew up in North Canton, went to high school in North Canton and worked at our business. Uh, I'm third generation in the family business. So I worked here in high school and then I left to go to Southeast Ohio for university. I left for about nine years and then came back and um, I've been back ever since. So a family business, who, who started the company originally? Originally, my great uncle uh, started the business in 1957, and it was a kind of a spinoff of his home construction business. He had so many people he was building homes for who also wanted swimming pools that he learned how to build swimming pools and started as swimming pool construction only and then slowly grew it. So my dad and one of my uncles, his older brother, went to work for their uncle out of high school. And they ended up learning the business and buying it from their uncle in 1981. So my dad and his brother bought the business in 1981. And then in 1983, they started selling hot tubs and they started selling hot springs, hot hot tubs. They then continued to grow the business, added a retail location in 1989, and then another retail location in the 90s, and it's been growing ever since. So 1983, when they added hot tubs, that's pretty early, I feel like, in the hot tub in the hot tub game. Yeah. You, know, you don't hear a lot of, I mean, there were a few retailers around, obviously, in the 70s and then in the 80s, but it really wasn't until the 90s that I feel like it really started to take off. So that's kind of, that's kind of neat that they were, they were early in the early in hot tubs. Yeah, we're super proud of it. And it's so fun to look back at the older reports of how many hot tubs we bought in the 80s. <laughs> I love doing that. I um, bet. What, like, so, I mean, what did it compare to then? What, how many hot tubs are you buying in the 80s? Oh. Very few, <laughs> like like a, like a couple. Like if you if you've got if you bought more than ten, you were excited. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. So when your dad and uncle took over the business, 
so I was born in 1983, so I'm 38. Were you were you alive at that time even? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I was born in 87. Okay. Um, my dad and uncle, they bought the business the same year my dad and mom got married. My mom was not planning on working in the hot tub or swimming pool business at all. But once they got married and they bought the business, then she came into the business. And it was really the three of them that started just started the laid the foundation for the whole business there's something about a family business i mean even if your partner does not work in the business they are still in the business there is no there is no separation really when you come to that you, even if you want there to be it's very rare to you find where like everyone is is pitching in in some way <laughs> absolutely absolutely and it really forms like the foundation of family relationships and how everybody gets along and what everyone's goals are and it's definitely a very unique like community organization, I would yeah. say. Yeah, for sure. So you grew up around the business and in the business and working in high school and all those things. So then when you went to college, were you, were you thinking that you would come back and work in the family business or what was your, what were your goals? I'm the oldest of four and I said, absolutely not. Am I ever coming back to this business? <laughs> Hot tubs are luxury items for rich people and they're not good for the environment. And at that time, I really was very hundred <laughs> percent certain Got it. that I was not coming back into the business. When I went to university, I studied philosophy and aviation and I loved it. It was so fun. I went to university for two years and then I kind of dropped out and started working on farms and I was okay. an organic farmer. Yeah. And I loved that in Southeast Ohio. It's a really unique area where they had some of the first organic farms in all of Ohio. Really? So they're, yeah, they're really like highly educated farmers. So you have all these farmers that are like in their eighties now who all have PhDs and they're very highly educated. So I got to learn from some of them and that was super fun. So growing up in the business, my dad always taught us a really strong work ethic. So I didn't have any problem going to the farms and working on different farms and kind of fitting in and learning whatever I needed to learn to do the job right. And I absolutely loved it. But then I realized that that wasn't really my career path necessarily. I always dreamed of wanting to have my own farm, but I wasn't really sure. And after working several years on farms, I was kind of at a place where I was like, I'm definitely not saving up the capital that I'm going to need to be able to buy a farm. Mm -hmm. And my dad needed help back at the business. So him and I had always talked and always been very close and we kind of decided that it would be a good time just to like move back home, move into my parents' house again <laughs> in my mid twenties and, uh -huh. and, you know, help my dad out with the business. And he just needed help mostly in the service office. So at that time, and that was like about 2013, 2014, um, I decided to come home for one year only <laughs> and save right. up some money and help my dad out. So that's when I originally came back up to Northeast Ohio and actually found out that hot tubs are absolutely amazing. Awesome. They help people's lives. Like people live better lives every day. I had some really special experiences with some clients or customers who really needed the hot tub for the health benefits and really learned firsthand how big of a difference that our products make. And so that's when I started to fall back in love with it. Yeah. I, I love that because I mean, that's such a, everyone's experience is different, but I feel like I kind of had the same thing where it's like, you, you go to college and you kind of have some grand ideas about what you want to do with your life and what you want that to look like. And there's nothing wrong with that. And then, but you kind of, as you grow and learn, sometimes you realize like, oh, where I am, I can still do these same things and contribute a lot of the same things that I really care about and value as a person in a, in a way that I didn't originally, originally see. And so I think that's so, I think that's so cool that you came back to the business and, you know, are hot tubs perfect? No, but it's like, you can see the good that they bring into the world and that sort of tied into your personal values as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was amazed not only at the benefits that individuals can get the health benefits of hot tubs, but also the community aspect that they bring together, like the relationships mm -hmm. that they foster and that we're able to 
create and foster through having a business. And so one of the things I loved about farming was that it's so community dependent. You rely on your neighbor down the road to help get you out of a ditch and to help you with whatever big projects you have coming up and you give to each other, knowing that you need each other. And I found the same dynamics in our family business. And so that's, that was really meaningful to me, just being able to create community and also grow community and help not only our customers solve some of their like day-to-day challenges, but also with our employees, because we have about, we've averaged about 40 employees and getting to see the positive impacts and getting to see our employees grow and live their lives has been very, very rewarding. So the community aspect is so wonderful. And then, then just the health and wellness. So I cared a lot when I studied philosophy, I studied ethics and primarily environmental ethics. And, uh, and that's what led me to the organic farming piece by learning that the, the importance of environmental ethics, I think really does come down to individuals and taking care of the earth and being like responsible stewards of the spaces and the places around us that we depend on, mm-hmm. but also creating wellness in individuals and families and in communities. And then you know, learning how big of an impact on wellness our products had was a huge turning point for me as well. But what do you think changed from when you, you know, worked at the business and as a high schooler and as a kid and kind of grew up in it, what do you think changed in your, in your mindset that you, you didn't see that aspect of the business before, but when you came back, you were able to see those things and, and that made you want to stay and continue on as a career. What do you think, what do you think changed? I think mostly just being out on my own in the world and learning how to form my own relationships that were totally independent of my family and the community that I grew up in. Learning how community dynamics and relationships work was a big part of that. And then learning about different segments of the community and different like income levels and how different parts of our communities live. Mm -hmm. And that kind of speaks back to the piece on where I really, in high school, I believed that they were luxury items for rich people. Mm -hmm. When I came back, I learned that the, and I saw firsthand that that's so not true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was a, um, I don't know. I think that that was just something that I experienced working in the retail store, helping people over the counter and abroad, an incorrect assumption that I made. Sure. Once I went out into the world, I saw in, you know, I made all these connections with farmers and people working. Like I learned that everybody can benefit from the healing powers of hot water. And, and then coming back into the business, working with our clients every day, mm-hmm. then I had so many more, you know, experiences with that as well. Right. I think there's that thing too, that sometimes it's like, man, this is hot tub is like, you know, $10,000, like, oh my gosh, how can you, you know, afford, or why would you spend your money on that? And then I think you do get to a point in your life where you're like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Cause you know, and for some people, yes, it's a luxury that they can just afford. And for other people, they make that sacrifice because they know it's something that they need for their, for their own body and comfort and well being. And like, and it's, uh, it's amazing when you see kind of both sides of that, that's really cool. For sure. And then also I think learning and seeing the development over the years, I don't know if this, how much it changed from when I was high high school to when I came back, Mm -hmm. but that there's a price point for everybody, you know, offering financing, financing has blown up since I was in high school. And that gives people a, a very affordable option, a very easy option for how to afford this kind of product in their own home. Mm -hmm to benefit them and their family. And then also we're, we do a lot of refurbished hot tubs. So we sell hot springs. So they're very high quality. They maintain their value and we're able to take those on trade in. We have a special area in our warehouse where we dedicate just to refurbishing them and flipping them. And that has been an amazing experience as well, because you can get a family, a really high quality product, mm-hmm. you know, starting at, you know, four to five to $6,000. And yeah. something that's going to last them still another 10 plus years and give them all the same benefits that they would get out of a 
10 or $20,000 hot tub. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm going to try not to get distracted by the refurbishing hot tubs because that is a, a fascinating segment of the, of the business and the industry to me. <laughs> so I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up, but instead of asking you 30 questions about that, <laughs> Which I'm so happy to talk about that if you want to, because I am also extremely passionate about clubs. I I love it. Well, and it's interesting because I find that like some retailers, I think some some retailers really have a desire to do that, but I think the op like operationally that is not an easy thing to do. It seems like for a lot of people, like it, you know, you gotta you gotta bring them in, you gotta fix them, you gotta do all of that, and then you gotta sell them, and and it's it's interesting because I. I find retailers who sort of come and go in that market. Like they do it for a while and then they kind of get burned out and then they do it for a while and, they, and then they kind of get burned out. And so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how you fit that into the rest of your operations and are able to sustain that because for some people, it's just not been, it's been hard. Yeah. So I have to say that I'm not taking credit for the idea or for us starting to do refurbished hot tubs because it was something we started probably decades ago Mm -hmm. where in the wintertime, instead of laying off some of our pool guys, we'd bring them in and they would like, you know, there's like an empty space in the warehouse, Mm -hmm. an empty dock. And they just, they'd set it up. It'd be on the ground and they just work on it for a while. And it was not at all the most efficient process, but it was a really great part of our business because we were able to keep people employed. We didn't have to lay off as many people Mm -hmm. um, because the swimming pool business was such a big part of our, our company. But then what I've really realized the last several years, especially the last couple of years is that it it truly is its own business. So our approach to it has been to run it like it is its own business and separate from retail, separate from sales, separate from service. It's its own thing. And we set up our processes and procedures, our space, our equipment, our staffing, like it is running its own independent business. It's still under the umbrella of Ohio Pools, of course, right? but we have a special area set up and we dedicated. So I guess it, it started off by just dedicating, making that commitment to it. Right. So we perchance had this opportunity to expand our warehouse space. And we had known for a long time that we had difficulties with doing in-shop repairs. And we knew in the back of our minds that our refurbishment process was not the most efficient, but we didn't think it was like a problem until we got this opportunity to increase our space. And I'm like, you know, what would it look like if we dedicated the actual space to make this its own little factory. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big game changer for us when we dedicated this space and then we invested in the correct tools to be able to do it and the correct equipment to do it and the correct people and staffing to do it. It's a program that I'm incredibly proud of now. And we have multiple full-time employees. We've got on average three full-time employees. One of them is one of my most senior spa technicians who has been working for us. He's been um, a hot springs tech for over 25 years, which I'm so proud of. He is leading the program and he's responsible for it. And he does such an amazing job, but we put in the correct processes and procedures so that it runs efficiently And I just love it. I could talk about refurbs all day long. (laughs) I think that's fantastic because a hot tub isn't necessarily something that you can uh, recycle or recycle easily. And so like, what a great way to be able to, you know, one, like not be putting these in the landfills. And then also, uh, like you said, giving a, like being able to get more people into hot tubs in a more affordable price for everybody. So I think that's, that's really great. And I I'm fascinated by thinking through what it would look like to set up like a mini factory, because you're right. I think that's probably what it, what it takes to be able to do it. Like you said, efficiently and cost-effectively and all the things to make it an actual business unit versus just, Oh, we got this on trade in. What are we going to do with it now? Well, we have a video on YouTube, so anybody can go and look at it. Yeah, we'll we'll link we'll link to that, so you guys can all go and see it. Yeah, you can see our space and you see the people that do the work, and and so yeah, like you're more than welcome to take a look at that and reach out if you have any questions about like how we set it up. I know that we're probably not the best setup in the world, but I'm really proud of what we have set up, and it's working great. Yeah. 
And then, like you said too, like one of, I just, I so wish we could like completely disassemble hot tubs and recycle them. And I hope that's the future of our industry. I really do. Mm -hmm. But for right now, being able to keep, give them another 10 years plus of life is Mm -hmm. hugely rewarding. Yeah. You know, over the last, this is my last question about refurbs. (laughs) So over the last um, couple of years with all the craziness with COVID and prices going up and all of the things that we've seen come out of that, I've heard some retailers say like, I had to stop selling used spas because the prices got so high on Facebook marketplace of people just selling Mm -hmm. their old hot tubs that we couldn't compete anymore and make it work. So was that something that you guys saw and did you have to try to over overcome that sort of pricing issue as well or not not as much because like you said you have it you've you've built it into its own business not so much we've been able to move them really well yeah good and I imagine with the backlog too does that does it help to have something like right there for those people who are really super anxious to get a hot tub immediately that instead of having to go through crazy lead times it's like well or you could buy a used one and take it home next week or whatever Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it helps a lot. And I think, you know, we've even had a couple of situations where we've, for example, one that just came up last week was this, one of our clients, one of our customers needs the hot tub for medical reasons, and it's pretty urgent. And instead of having to wait several months for her new hot tub to get in, we're able to get her a refurb at Mm -hmm a very reasonable like rate kind of as a loaner tub. So we've even used them in certain situations for like loaner tubs. And because again, I think you have to have a certain volume to be able to do this, but we've been able to use them for donations for like make a wish foundation, um, wishes can happen and support nonprofits and uh, be able to use them as donations to families that really can't afford a hot tub that really need them and would benefit from them. So it gives us a lot of, it just gives us a lot of flexibility Mm -hmm. um, in the company to do, I think, good work. So when you came back into the business, something that I thought that was interesting about your story is that you worked in kind of all of the different departments of the company, right? Before you became president, kind of giving you a, a bird's eye view of how everything worked from the, from the inside out, right? Yeah. So we had actually gone through a really rocky period in the business at the end of 2014. My dad was trying to sell the business and Mm -hmm. he was ready to retire. Didn't have anybody to take over and run it. And it was a really upsetting process. We lost a lot of key employees through that process. So needless to say, the sale didn't go through, but it created a lot of turmoil and upset in the business. And that gave me the opportunity to come back in and fill in, in those different roles immediately. (laughs) Right. Right. All hands on deck kind of situation. (laughs) Right. Right. So that was like the beginning of 2015. And at one point I filled in for a marketing manager. I filled in for a purchasing director. I filled in for a service manager and just having to, you know, I don't think I was the best at any of those positions by any means, but learning the role was hugely helpful and kind of understanding better how the business runs and how it's all held together because we are a small family business, but there's still so many complexities to it. And there's so many different roles with responsibilities that all need to be done really well for Mm -hmm. the whole company to operate efficiently. So yeah, that was definitely kind of a, you know, learn by fire type of a couple of years where it was a game changer for me as a person, because it helped me learn problem solving the first year that I had been back in, I was strictly customer service. I was a scheduler and took customer service calls. And I wouldn't give that up for anything because that really taught me how to talk to all different types of people Mm -hmm. and help people in all different kinds of situations. So I learned how to overcome difficult conversations or different difficult challenges and then also have difficult conversations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something I still practice. Mm-hmm. But what I, the, my biggest takeaway from that first year was a switch in mindset from being kind of reserved and 
defensive about difficult conversations to embracing that challenge and getting excited about, okay, how can I fix this? No matter, no matter how upset, no matter how, you know, crazy this situation is, I know I can do something to make it better. So let me, let me add it. Like I got this. And then I was able to carry that mentality through to the other positions that, no matter what the challenge was, Mm -hmm. you know, creating a new website or solving a difficult purchasing uh, situation, every challenge can be solved. And um, I'm not always going to do it perfect, but I know that I can do it. I I love that. I feel like recently, just in the last month or two, I've, I've said to a couple of people that I think the key like the key skill that a business owner needs is problem solving. Like that's really what you do all day long. Like it doesn't matter. Like it could be like, there's a million different problems, a million different departments that you could be touching, but really that's what you do all day is you, you fix problems (laughs) and you do have to get to a place where you stop seeing them as problems and start to see them as challenges because otherwise it can be crushing. And so it's like, okay, well, how can I, how can I fix this? Then when you're also the leader, it's like, how can I, tackle this in a way where my employees aren't crushed by it too. Like where they can see it as, as a challenge and as, look, we can, this isn't the end of the world and we can fix this and it's going to be as good or better than what we had originally planned. And so it's, it's, I really think that is probably like the top skill of all business owners is just solving, solving problems. So that's really interesting that that's how you saw that kind of first position back with the company was as chief, uh, chief problem solver. (laughs) I agree completely, 100%. And you have to find a way to not only embrace the challenges, but also get energy from them because otherwise you're going to burn out. So exactly. if you don't, if you're not energized by overcoming challenges and solving things and over and over and over again, because mm-hmm. it's not going to stop. And that's kind of the precipice of what like we have to do is we're always going to be in change and now more so than ever, I believe. I think COVID sped up a lot of natural processes and things that were happening in our, in the business world. So I do believe that we're just going to see more and more change faster and faster and it's bigger change. And so my mentality right now is really trying to be as open as possible to change and still like being aware and mindful of when we have the wins, when we solve the challenges, you know, celebrating those, getting the energy back from that, getting stronger as a team. Those are like, those are real efforts that you have to try to do, which I never understood before I had to do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. I don't, I don't think you do. And there's, it's a, it's a balance. Right. And I think that's, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it too, is about, you know, celebrating it and getting that energy back from it. Cause you're right. That's, that is a key, a key part of it that I probably need to think about some more. (laughs) (laughs) So what is it, I mean, so what has it been like working in the, in the family business for you? Cause it was, it was you, it was your, your dad and your uncle and your mom who kind of took over and were that second generation. And then did your uncle exit the business at some point then? Yeah. Yeah. So he, my dad bought the business from my uncle in 2007. Okay. okay. Um, so right before. Yeah. The great, recession. great timing. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, uh, kind of on that note, one thing I'd say about being a family business is that, wow, I have so much experience to draw from and you know, I wasn't active in the business in 2007. That's Mm -hmm. when I was away at university. And so I have my own perception of what's happened and my own memory of those experiences, Mm -hmm. but I try really hard to draw on the lessons learned from different aspects of the business. So first of all, I'd say with family business, I would never uh, give up the four years that I worked with my dad, five years I've worked with my dad for anything, mm-hmm. even though they weren't always the easiest. And there were many nights on the way home that I would have to call my mom to vent about my dad. And I could hear my dad on the, like my dad calling my mom on the other end, beeping, <laughs> wanting to talk Probably to vent her, about you. <laughs> to vent about me. <laughs> we were both, we were both very strong headed, very stubborn. So we had a lot of budding heads and at the same time, like I would, yeah, just never give that up for anything. Yeah. And 
so that was that in and of itself, just having that relationship directly with my dad was really special. And I am just incredibly grateful for it. And then also family businesses are, I think, kind of interesting because they're, I guess, to draw off of that, like everybody has their own interests everyone has their own individual interests and like mm-hmm. their, the, their own unique interests of their family. And it all has to kind of jive or at least complement each other. And that's another big thing I've learned about being in a family business is that if what's happening in the business isn't supporting our, and not, and I'm not just talking about like my direct family, but mm-hmm. our, all of our employees, families, if it's not also supporting their personal goals, then it's not going to work. So one thing I started doing the last couple of years, sorry, I'm going on a little tangent about it right now, but was in our reviews and our check-ins, I will ask about like personal goals Mm -hmm. from last year and progress made and then future personal goals. And then also professional goals separately. And I do believe that what happens at the business also has to support you know, our personal goals. And I've learned that from conflict in my own family. We had, we actually have a couple of generations of family businesses that led to certain kind of conflict. And the way that I look at it is it's again, another challenge to solve. Like, how do we do this better yeah. this time? Right. And I think that that's what a lot of parents feel too. It's not unlike that. You always want a better life for your, your kids in that next generation. So like, the way that I'm running the business now is like for the next generation, how can we set, set this up better? Yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a good way of looking at it. And I, I love that idea of asking your employees about their personal goals, because I feel like a lot of times, you know, people just assume things. They assume that their boss knows certain things about them. They assume that, that, you know, things have trickled down or that, well, you should know that about me. You know, I've worked here for so long, but you don't. And so it's nice when you can sit down and have someone say, you know, I really want to take my wife to Italy for our 30th anniversary. You know, like, like, I don't know what their goals are, but like, if that was someone's goal, like how great for you as their, as their boss to know that. And then when you see opportunities where you can help them achieve that goal, like, you know, what a great thing for both you and for them to be able to help them do that. But if you don't know there's, you can't, you can't move that process along and, and help them reach their goals if you don't know what they are. So I love that. That's such a great, that's such a great idea and to help everyone feel more personally invested in the business too. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And if I, and I know that if I don't ask, then I won't just know. Cause I don't, most of our employees, I don't even get to see them very right. often. And yeah. it's, it's just the way that it is. So yeah, having that check-in check time that's scheduled so that I don't miss it or don't forget is really helpful. For yeah. me. This episode is brought to you by Marquee. Aquatic training vessels are much more than a traditional swim spa. Hydrodynamic flow design and control, plus a unique range of pumps and jet arrays deliver water flow users can customize for their aquatic workout. The Kona's exclusive system design uses six Whitewater 4 jets to deliver water flow beyond the volumes created by the pumps, delivering up to 39% more flow than comparably sized competitive jets. Plus, two mid-vessel buoyancy jets provide mid to lower torso lift during swimming. The V150 Party Swim Tub utilizes Whitewater 4 jets, three swim jets, and two footwell jets, plus directional, conal, and orbital jet pods and eight therapy seats. To learn more, visit atvswimspas.com. Do you think that coming in and working in a bunch of different departments and kind of getting your feet wet that way, do you think that helped with the transition when you did take over the business, help with the employees because they knew you'd kind of been there and done that? Because it can be challenging, I think, when you are, you know, younger than some of the people that you're managing and also haven't been in the business as long as some of the people that you're managing and also a woman that can sometimes play into the dynamics as well. Like, I think, do you think that kind of helped with that transition and for them to have full like buy-in with seeing you as their, as their leader? Oh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure it did because I had already established relationships with so many of our employees, if not all of them Mm -hmm. um, at the time that the transition, you know, happened. So yeah, just respect is something that you really have to work on. You know, I, I do believe that it's pretty easy to trust quickly until that, until that trust is broken. It's pretty easy to trust 
right off the bat. I think most people do, but to really form respect for each other in a relationship take does take time and it takes experience. Mm -hmm. And so those are, those are things that I was really, I tried to be pretty aware of, especially the respect part. When I was in high school, I think a lot of there, there was a lot of joking about, oh, the owner's daughter, this and that, right, right? Right. Yeah, sure. And when I came back, I didn't, I didn't get that same kind of joking around, but I still always had that in the back of my mind that I didn't want, I wanted to prove myself and I wanted to earn respect. Mm-hmm. And so I have tried and I will always try my hardest to continue to earn the respect of my, you know, I prefer to call my employees, my coworkers, to be honest with you, just because it feels better for me to really, yeah, to continue to grow that respect over the years is one of my top goals. Yeah. So something that's been on my mind a lot over the last year or two is I've seen a couple of family businesses who've gone through this transition because of an unexpected death. Um, Mm -hmm. I think about Mark Henderson from Pool World up in Spokane, who died from injuries in a bike accident, Ben O'Connell recently in Colorado Springs. He had, he died from unexpectedly from complications from diabetes. And so here are two family businesses that, you know, s- small businesses, and all of a sudden the heir apparent and the person running the company is just, is just gone. And so not only are they dealing with the grief and the difficulty in that situation, but then also you got to get up and run a business. And that's kind of what happened to you guys. Cause your dad died unexpectedly, right? Yeah, he did. So in 2019, um, my dad actually took his own life. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is kind of weird to say. Mm-hmm. I always wonder how much I should share that, you know, because it's not, it's not what I want my story to be, mm-hmm. right? When you think about like, oh, how did you become the president of a business? Well, my dad took his own life. And I, you know, it's something I thought about so much. But the reality is that is what happened. Right. And there's there's so much to learn from how our team just really rallied, doesn't seem like the right word, but to some degree, like yeah. really yeah. rallied. And and then the same thing with my family. You know, we when something like that happens that's totally unexpected, you you don't have a plan, you don't know what you're gonna do, but you make decisions. And those decisions are very important. <laughs> and my, you know, my family made the decision that we are going to, you know, support each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to do whatever we can to help each other heal through this. And mm-hmm. our business is very similar. So it was kind of crazy. The, the day that it happened, I was talking to a detective who told me that he was going to have to start calling our employees that day and in interviewing people. And I said, what? I was so surprised. And I was like, are you, you can't do that. Like, what, like, what do you mean? I was so, I was totally shocked. Yeah. He was like, no, this is part of the process. Like I have to do that. I'll give you until tomorrow morning. It's probably better if they hear it from you. And I said, what? And so that was like one of those pivotal moments that I will never forget. And I, you know, made the decision then to call an emergency meeting and told everybody what happened, because I do believe that, I mean, life has so many challenges and so many ups and downs, but I always believe that it's going to work out better if you're more transparent and you're honest and you're open. So I called everybody together and let them know what happened and said, you know, my decision is that I'm going to continue to run this business. I have so much gratitude for the, the work that my dad has done to lay the yeah. foundation and the structure of this amazing business. And I'm so proud of all of the families that we support because we have about 40 employees, yeah. but all of those employees have families of their own. And we've supported mm-hmm. so many families throughout the years. I'm like, you know, I've, I've, I'm going to do this. So I want everybody to take a couple of days off and think about whether this is the right, you know, choice for you to still be here. And if not, that's fine. There's no, no problem at all, but it was crazy. The next day I looked and everybody clocked in. So like, basically I told everyone, like, I'll, we'll pay you to take a couple of days off. Think about it, be with your families. Yeah. Think about if this is the right place for you to be. And then, yeah, the next day, everybody, everybody showed up and that's kind of how it's gone ever since. So that when we went through it, it also, it made us get super, 
super focused on what matters and sure. what our goals are and who needs to be doing what mm-hmm. <laughs> and just get m- more hyper-focused because the truth of the matter is we're, we're all replaceable. And at the same time, we all have such a huge impact on this organization, this community of people that's here to do this thing, mm-hmm. which is to make a business, run a business, offer products, offer services to the best of our ability. And we, we got super serious about it and it was a turning point for the business in that everyone needed to step up. Yeah. We were never ready to take on those responsibilities as a, as a business owner. And then definitely as a, as a daughter and as a family member, just not something that you're ever, you're ever prepared for. Who did you find turning to, to give you support, mostly on the, on the business end? Who did you, who did you find yourself turning to, to say, Hey, I'd never done this before. I don't know how to do this. Help me. Was that your employees and your family? Were there, were there other people in the industry who kind of stepped up and helped you navigate that? First and foremost were, you know, my coworkers and the people who already like were here and knew me and knew the business so well. And just being really open to asking for help, because I think that's also something that's a huge challenge for a lot of people. It's really difficult to ask for help. So I had to get really comfortable doing that really quickly. So first and foremost were for sure our employees, especially some of my key employees who have just they've been so loyal and they've dedicated every, every ounce of energy they have to making this whole thing work. And I can't thank them enough, you know, also, of course, it would be my family and friends, of course, that, you know, they're always there for me. And it's, I try not to bring a lot of, you know, business challenges to them, but Mm -hmm. whenever something's personally difficult for me, then I get a lot of support there. Yeah. Definitely in the industry, man, our industry has, I, I was amazed at how much support I got. So I, I developed a couple very powerful mentors very early on. And again, I cannot even express how grateful I am to have some of the mentors that I have. And we still have regular check-in calls and I'm still learning and growing from them. And then additionally, of course, our industry organization. So, you know, um, some of the other similar businesses that since we've been in the, the industry since the eighties, we have relationships. I was able to draw on those relationships and ask them for help when it was maybe not the most comfortable thing to do, or I wasn't super confident asking for help at first but I'm very comfortable with it now. (laughs) Um, and I also try to offer help whenever I can to, to anyone who needs it. Um, because again, going back to that community aspect, no matter if you're on the East coast of the country or the West coast, you're in the sun belt, or you're up close to the border in Canada, our businesses deal with really similar challenges. Yeah. And I've learned that the, you know, the best way to solve those challenges is just to form those relationships. And I've been so blessed and honored to be a part of different industry groups where they're networking groups and they have Mm -hmm. regular calls. And I think, you know, to all the, all the other business owners out there, if you don't have a group that you're a part of, I would really urge you to look and just look for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and ask around, see if there's, if there's some kind of networking group of similar type of, you know, similar types of businesses, they don't have to be the same size. You don't even have to sell the same things. But I think that that has been for me, the biggest ongoing source of um, support because it helps us benchmark where we're at and then helps us figure out where we're going. Yeah. I could not agree with you more. I think that's the thing that I found to be the most helpful in running a business is finding those, those people and groups that you can, that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of. And I think it helps too, just to know that you're not alone and that all the problems that you are experiencing are things that people either are, or have also experienced. It just, and it's kind of, it's kind of nice because in my job, I basically just talk to small business owners all day long. So that helps a lot too, because I can, it's like, all right, yeah, that's okay. This is how it's supposed to feel. I had no idea. I'll just learn to figure this part of it out. You know, like it's just the things that you don't, 
you don't know until you're, until you're in it yourself. And so, yeah, I just, I don't understand how people are able to run businesses without having that kind of support system, both at home and in their, you know, in their industry and community, because it is a, it's a unique experience. And I think you really need that feedback to kind of keep yourself, keep yourself balanced and steady. And and for me, keep myself sane. So (laughs) absolutely. So looking at when you came into the business to kind of where it's at now, I know we kind of talked about some things that you're really, you're really proud of accomplishments that you guys have, you guys have made, but were there some things that when you came back to the business, you're like, Oh, that is, I'm, I'm tackling that one. That's something that I want to, I want to work on. And how have kind of some of those goals come around since you, since you came back? So I would say that the first focus was just to update. And we had already had so many amazing processes written and procedures that we followed. Mm -hmm. And so many of them were outdated. And I think that that also has been a big lesson to me that you think that you do the work once, but you don't, you're going to have to redo it over and over and over again, right? As, As time goes on. And that's just a part of managing change. So when I came back, we started to really look at like the business from we t- taking a step back, you know, what, what do we need to do to make this business healthier mm-hmm. and to make it more well, um, <laughs> to increase the wellness of our wellness business. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we got a, tr- we got tremendous help from our manufacturer. They helped do kind of like a consulting type of a project with us where they came in and helped look at what areas do we have the most opportunity for improvement. And that was a game changer. I started studying actually a lot about succession planning when I had first come back in to kind of help my dad, because as I said, he had tried to sell, but it fell through and it was really damaging. So I wanted to learn, like, how do you do that really well? And I started reading books about it. And even if you're not trying to sell your business, I think that that, that reading about succession planning and how to value a business is very, very important because it shows you, it teaches you about business best business practices and structure that you need to know no matter where you're at in your business cycle and in your Mm -hmm. business with your business goals. So reading about the succession planning and doing consulting projects were, was very, very helpful for us. And then that kind of helped us look, divide operations from finances and focus on specific goals in each of those areas for how to improve. I I think that is such a great lesson for our industry, especially where it's at right now, because we're starting to see a lot more of those transitions take place. We are going from that first generation of, of ownership to the second, and you're starting to see a lot of businesses change hands and and yeah, you find people who do, who do not have a plan in place or, you know, just have kind of no idea where they're going to go. And it's like, you've built this thing, you know, you've built this great thing and you should be able to get out of it what you've put into it, at least some of what you've put into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think it's, that's something that has been one of the most popular things we've ever talked about in the magazine is when we talk about succession planning. And I think there's just this real desire and need to learn, to learn more about that. But normally it's like, normally it's the other way. It's not the the younger person studying about it. It's usually the the person who's trying to get rid of the business who's doing the studying about it. So that, I also think that's a great thing to think about too. And something that I wish I had done some more of is look at some of the nitty gritty before I actually bought a business and became a business owner of like, what does it look like to to have a succession plan. And again, to have a, a healthy company, because I think sometimes too, we look at that as like, okay, well, I need to sell my business. So let me put these five or six things in order to sell it. And then you realize oh, this is how I should have been running my business the entire time. <laughs> like oh, why, yeah. why did I not do this? You know, years and years ago, it's kind of the same thing. When you go to sell a house, you're like, okay, we better, we better paint and we better replace this window and do this thing. And suddenly you're like, why didn't we do this years ago so we could enjoy this for what it is instead of living with things the way that they were. And so it's just such a good lesson. And I'd love to hear, you know, I'd love to provide some of the resources to people that maybe you found helpful so that they can start looking and tackling some of those questions too, because this is, it is, 
an inevitability, right? Is that this business has to change hands at some point. It, you will not own it forever. And so you have to start looking at that almost when you buy it. And when you start it is what is it going to look like to move on from this business? And what do I want that to look like? And maybe that's going to change over the, over time. But if you aren't coming up with a plan, then you end up in situations where you don't get out of it, what you should, or where your family is stuck trying to figure out a mess and not knowing what your desires and wishes were for the continuation of your business. Oh yeah. I've learned so much about, cause I didn't, I didn't take any business classes. I actually took, well, I did. I took a economics 101 in uh, college and I failed out of it multiple times. Oh, <laughs> I like it. thank you. Yes. I, I took one business class. I didn't fail it, but I hated every minute of it. <laughs> I just, I just could not believe that resources are infinite. I did not agree with that principle. And so I immediately failed out of economics, but the same thing with, I took one, I took one day of one teaching class and I was like, nope, this is, this is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, so I've learned a lot about financial planning and one of the programs that I've offered here for our employees is actually like a financial education type of a program that they can do that's self-paced. That's totally separate from the business. But I think it's so important because we all live and operate in the same economic system. And if we don't understand, and we're not taught this in high school, we're not taught it in university, which still blows my mind. Maybe classes are starting to get a little different now, but it blows my mind that we're not taught basic financial management. I know I wasn't. And no, no, the financial, the financial literacy in our country as a whole is very poor. And yeah, it's amazing the things that we don't know about the basics of how the system that we live in works. It's insane. Uh, Absolutely. And like, I didn't even realize it until I realized it until I learned about it. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn how to do budgets. I had to learn how to do projections. I had to do um, reconciliation, you know, at the end of the month. And what I've learned is that planning is everything. And once you understand your financial situation, where you're at right now, and that not, you have to know where you're at right now. And then you have to be able to set your goals to be able to figure out what to do in between. And I, and I think that the same is so true with the, I guess the overall big picture of the business. I think it's really important to know the financial history of your business. And for us, that's something that we had struggled with. So we were not as financially well as what we needed to be. Mm -hmm. And not until you realize that and are you able to actually make the change happen to fix it? You have to find the problem first. Right. And when you study about succession planning, one of the first things that you learn about is how to value a business. Because I think you made a comment earlier about uh, so many owners don't get what they, the value that they put in. Well, how do you even measure that when you spend your entire life or maybe even generations dedicated a hundred percent, like you sacrifice everything for that business. How do you value that? You, right. It's it's impossible. So what we have to do is we have to look at how the market values it. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that's for me become really healthy to do is to always have a finger on the pulse and always know you know, if I was going to sell the business, which I'm totally not, you guys, I just talking out, shout out to my employees, not selling the business, but if, if you important, were, important, important to say, let's make sure <laughs> that, make that very clear, <laughs> very clear disclosure, uh, <laughs> that you, you always want to know exactly where you're at. So that's become part of my, you know, monthly process now is I'm, I'm always looking at the value and it's not super difficult to do. And it's something that you can just make part of your monthly or quarterly and if I, if not quarterly, at least yearly process of looking at, I feel like, let's just say it, if you're doing it yearly, that's the problem. But yeah, I mean, really like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do it. Yeah. Monthly is huge. Even sometimes biweekly, <laughs> yeah. yep. but it also helps you separate, like just really know where you're at with things. Mm-hmm. And so you don't end up having, hopefully you avoid some heartache and some pain when it comes to having to make those decisions. Again, I think planning is just everything and also being open. So something I think that is also different about maybe younger generations that, you know, it's kind of like a a stereotype, but 
with younger generations, I think people are, are more open with sharing and open with numbers. I know that, you know, for example, my dad was always very close to the vest with numbers yeah. and didn't share a whole lot, but I think it's very, very important to be able to share the correct things with the correct people so that you're able to get the correct feedback so that right. you can make the correct decisions. So when it comes to family business, I think planning is everything and being open, being transparent, knowing where you're at so that you can decide where you want to go. So let me ask you, how has all of that, you know, the, the planning and the goals and all those, how has all that looked uh, during this COVID era, because, um, you know, I think for a lot of us, you know, we, we talked about kind of that forced change. A lot of things changed rapidly and things that we had, you know, hoped to do over several months and years, we had to do in a matter of days and weeks. And then it's just been like drinking from a fire hose for the last two years in our industry. So how has that looked? You know, you kind of have these structures and systems and goals and plans and then you get hit with something completely out of left field. How have you managed that part of it? Because it just kind of changed everything. And it, I think it also changed the capacity that we had and the time that we had to be able to do some of the things that we would normally do, right? So I feel like some of that long-term planning, people were just like, we're surviving day to day. I don't like forget about long-term plans. Like it's what can I get done today? And that's what I'm going to focus on. And I think for a lot of people, that's how it's really felt for two years. Like we haven't come out for some people. I don't think they've come out of that. Like, like, how do I get through today mentality? So what has that been like for you guys? Like that kind of fight or flight, like mode of operating. I have, um, yeah, I have talked to so many exhausted retailers in the last couple of months, like more than ever in my, in my life, people who would just like are truly, truly burnt out. Yeah. Cause I think, yes, they've been in that fight or flight for two years. Yeah. Okay. So going back to planning, I really do believe that like, if you have a long-term goal or a long-term plan, it really helps balance that. It really helps, you know, that like, it also gives you a benchmark for knowing, like for prioritizing what your tasks are. So mm -hmm. if you've got your long-term goals, then you can decide what's important and what's not important. And you have to make a lot of decisions that things are not important or, or you're not going to do certain things or you're mm -hmm. just going to say no. So one of the things that we've been, here, here are a lot of my cliches that are my mantras I've been living by the last couple of years is number one, fake it till you make it. <laughs> always, always fake it till you make it. With you on that one. Because we've never, like, when are you going to actually make it? Never. But just always know that, like, as long as you keep going, like, you got this. And another big one has been that it's a work in progress. Everything is a work in progress. Everything is a work in progress always. And we're doing so great. We're here to celebrate our progress and our wins and, and really embrace that and get that energy back. And at the same time, you know, there's always so much room for improvement. Mm -hmm. And that is, that applies directly to how I do budgets and projections. So <laughs> uh, the last couple of years, so my budgets and projections are always a work in progress. They're never going to be 100% accurate. I'm constantly going to be, we are constantly going to be adjusting them as a team. Yeah. And it's never going to be perfect ever, no, no matter what world you live in. And uh, you just got to, I got to embrace that and know that if, again, if you've got those long-term goals, you can measure how you're tracking to get there. And I think that's, that's really important to keep things in perspective and also to take you out of that fight or flight response mentality, because right. you can always take a step back and look at where you're at big picture. And you need to do that regularly, mm -hmm. even almost for like a psychological validation or to give yourself a psychological break, you know, yeah. take that step back, but build that into your routine is what I've done. What are some things that you guys ended up changing during the pandemic, either short-term changes that you didn't keep forever or things that you started and you're like, you know what, we like this better. And we're going to continue with this. Were there any changes like that, that you guys made in the business. I was talking to a retailer the other day, and this will actually come up in a couple episodes down the road of the podcast where they just said, you know what, we're closing for two days a week. And mm -hmm. we're doing that for our staff and everyone, because we don't, 
we don't need to be well, like now that we look at how things are going, we actually do not need to be open those two days. And it's best for everyone for us to have a built in break. And so that was, I thought that was a really great change that they made in their business where it's like, you know what, this isn't healthy for us, which means it's not healthy for our customers. So we are going to close for two days and we're, and that's, that's what we're going to do. What were, what were some of the things that you guys found you changing during this crazy time? Oh, I mean, so that sounds amazing. And I'm so (laughs) proud of them for doing that. We, we were lucky enough to be closed one day a week. We are closed every Sunday um, Mm -hmm. before and, and we maintained that. And so that's, it is, it's so important to have, have a break and take a step back. You know, we adapted with our technology for sure. We very quickly, we had a handful of employees that were able to work remotely and very quickly made it so that the majority of our employees were able to work remotely if and when necessary. Now, most of our employees are not remote. They're back, you know, we never had to go fully remote, which was we're really blessed, um, in that regard, but, um, so you guys didn't have any like mandated shutdowns or anything like that for your area. Yeah. We were lucky that we were essential. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice because I don't think that we had to overcome a lot of the challenges and disrupted lifestyles that Mm -hmm. a lot of people did or isolation. And for us, we were still able to see each other and be together as a team, even if we were very far apart and had masks all all over our faces. I would say that it was more lots of little changes that helped us get more efficient. We just, we had to figure out how to do things more efficiently. For example, we are doing video site inspections before we do a delivery instead of sending a person out every time. We are, we're doing more web chat and texting and utilizing technology to a, a much more efficient degree. So lots of little changes like that. And then also making sure that we're drawing on all of our resources. So we had an influx of deliveries. We had to bring on a subcontractor and get extra help and support that way. Mm -hmm. And those have all been really beneficial changes for the company that we're going to continue. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I feel like we, we could, I feel like there's lots of tangents that we could go down on. I, I, um, you know, it's, I still want to talk about building a green hot tub with you and oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> all yes. kinds of fun things like that. But um, is there anything else before we finish up and I make you answer this while retailer five, is there anything else we should know about Ohio pools and spas that we haven't touched on? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. I mean, with this company, I mean, I'm super excited to be part of our industry. Like Mm -hmm. the, we just have such an exciting time ahead. Like we're in an exciting time right now. And I think we have a very exciting time ahead of us of a lot of potential for growth and Mm -hmm. a lot of opportunities to do different things. So because our companies, our businesses have grown so much in the last couple of years, we're going to have opportunities to really make decisions to implement new technology and just do business better and form better relationships. So I'm just stoked to to be in the industry and very blessed for all the support and the community that surrounds our business. I agree. It's pretty exciting times. All right. It's Barry Taylor 5. So I feel like some of these I already know because we've been talking for a while, (laughs) but do you remember your very first spa sale? So I had to look it up right before the podcast (laughs) and then I instantly remembered it. It was actually in 2020. I didn't sell my first hot tub until 2020 and it was at a home and garden show to a very young couple in their twenties who had just bought a house and were about to have a baby. And that was a huge game changer for me because they were so young and I couldn't believe like it actually went through. Like we, I had to do some follow-up and I was texting him from my hot tub at home when he, when I was able to close it. So there's a little bit of back and forth after the home show. And so that was a very memorable one that I'm surprised I forgot, but, um, that was very, uh, very rewarding because they use it all the time and they love their hot tub. Oh, that's amazing. I love to hear those stories. And how fun that they were, you know, it was like a young, a young couple. That's not always the norm, right? For our hot tub sales. <laughs> yeah. But also like kind of, you know, sets the stage for this shifting demographic we're seeing right 100%. now. So. Yeah, absolutely. So was working at the business, was that your first real job? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sweeping. I tell everybody my first job was sweeping the floors in the warehouse, which it totally was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you, can you look back and see maybe what your worst idea or product or flop, something that you tried in the business that you're like, well, that did not work the way I had hoped. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I have to admit that bringing in inflatable hot tubs was not uh, okay. the success I wanted it to be. Um, and at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, oh my gosh, all these people on Google are searching for inflatable hot tubs. Like we're going right. to start selling them. Yeah. And, um, not so much. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's a good one. I haven't heard that one before. So I, I like that. Uh, so on the flip side, do you have, do you have something that was maybe the, the best idea or the most successful thing you've tried in the business so far? I might be, I'm a little biased on this and my employees might have a different uh, take, but I would say my best idea was to start checking in about personal and professional goals separately mm-hmm. and understanding progress made and goals ahead of us, because I truly like for myself, like that fills my heart. And (laughs) that, that gives me the meaning behind showing up and doing the work, no matter how hard it is, like knowing that we're supporting all of those really important people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So, I mean, you've already mentioned that you did a lot of reading and studying about succession planning, but do you have a favorite book or TV show or podcast that you either turn to just for entertainment and relief or something that you kind of find yourself going back to just to help you with the business? You know, I've listened to quite a bit of like Tim Ferriss's podcast on business and I really, but I really love Krista Ritma. Her podcast is called Authentic Audience. And I've taken actually a couple consulting type classes, courses with her. She does online courses. And I think that her business is super rad and super authentic. (laughs) It's all about how to be authentic in your business. And she has amazing marketing courses. Uh, So that's definitely my favorite podcast. I don't listen to or watch a lot of TV at all, but also my big thing is gardening outside of work. I, if I can like my decompression is to hot tub and, or get in the dirt and pot some plants. I mean, that kind of, that kind of makes sense now that we know a little bit more about your, about your background. So yeah, that's, that's great though. I planted bulbs this fall for the very first time in our flower garden, and now they've started to spring up and I'm, I'm very excited. I've actually pulled weeds like multiple days this week, which I normally would not do. So you know, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Well, if you have any gardening questions, feel free to like oh. send me a text, shoot me a picture. Like I'm so here for you. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah. I would definitely, um, you know, my husband, his grandpa actually owned a greenhouse. And so you would think that he would have absorbed some of that like green thumb, but <laughs> no, nope, not so much. Neither of us are very good at it. So, but yeah, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. This was really great. I enjoyed talking to you and it, it's been, it's been a really fun hour or so here. Megan, thank you so much. I'm honored that you had me on. The Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.